Um, when I was 31, I moved to LA to go to UCLA and I knew immediately that I was going to have to go to like my new doctor at UCLA, um, go to the gynecologist, get a new prescription for birth control. And so I went and I made an appointment. UCLA has really great medical care, by the way. So I thought, and I, I went and I had a pelvic exam which I've been having from the time I was like, I don't know, 15 years old. And the doctor told me that I was too fat to examine and that there was no way for her to examine my cervix. And I was shocked. I've never been told that by a medical professional ever, ever. And then she went on to tell me that I was going to require an ultrasound in order to examine, get an, like to examine me internally. And then she went on to say that it's not covered so that I would have to pay $3,000 for like what would have been a routine pelvic exam. Um, I was so shocked and I had never had to like, I was not practiced in advocating for myself in the doctor's office, so I didn't know what to do as a 31-year-old woman. I was just silent, and she got up and left, and then the nurse was like, looked at me, and she was like, I don't, I'm so sorry, I don't know why, because there was a, a it, there was a nurse who was like a student who was assisting in the exam, and she was just like, I am so sorry, I don't know why. She said that it, I've, I've seen her examine other women that are bigger than you. And I'm just so sorry. And she was shocked and didn't really know how to like support me. So that was the first time that I had overtly been told by like an institution that I was like too fat for a normal service. A normal, yeah. I don't know. That's like what I think of when I think of my own experience with fat phobia. Yeah. I have also a doctor experience. Mm. So I was at the beach with my sister, and she's like, what's wrong with your belly button? And I looked down, and it's like sticking out. And I was like, I don't know. Like, it's a lump. Mm. So... I do some research and I'm like, oh, it's a hernia. So I go to the doctor, I make an appointment and I didn't know anything about hernia. So I thought it was like really serious. Like my body is trying to leave itself. Mm. And so I see the doctor, it's an older man and he like, like examines me. Well, he kind of just looked at me mm-hmm. and then he's like, well, you could get surgery but it's gonna have a lot of complications so i was like what do i what do i do and he just told me he's like well you have to get a six pack because mm. your your muscles are weak mm. and i was like get a six pack like what are you <laughs> saying that's no help mm-hmm. <laughs> well how do i do that yeah and didn't really even explain like what the cause was just yeah. said like your body your the area is weak yeah um 
So I felt really embarrassed and shamed and mm. like frustrated. I was like, how are you going to, yeah. why did I even come here Yeah. for you to be acting like that? Yeah. But it was just the way you said it was like, so like nothing. Yeah. Yeah. That's the common fat phobic experience at the doctor. Yeah. That the, you could be in tremendous pain, have some kind of severe condition, and the doctor's response is always, like, lose weight. with Lose weight, and then also, like, I'm not going to tell you how. Yeah, that's <laughs> not essentially... That, but it also, like, we know now, like, even saying how does not necessarily mean that that's what will happen for that person. <laughs> right. Even if they are to follow the guidance of the doctor. Mm-hmm. It sucks. It really sucks. Yeah. And I, I don't know. Like yeah. from both of our stories, like the implication is like, you have to lose weight. Yeah. And, and that the problem is within your control mm-hmm. and you clearly have lost control of your body. Yeah. Like there's an implication that it's implied that this is your fault. Yeah. Yeah. We are Power Crystals. Conversations with Jason Perez and Leah Garza. Getting cute. Critical and and metaphysical. metaphysical. So we haven't guessed it by now. Today's topic is fat phobia. And a special treat, disgust. Yeah. Yeah. So, I'm Jason Perez. I'm Leah Garza. And we're so happy to have this conversation with you today. We're not experts. No. In this. We're not, like, doctors. We're not going to diagnose anyone. We're just going to talk about what our experiences have been and how this is related to liberation mm-hmm. like how this conversation is related to liberation because i think that's for me it's like well how do we bring this back to power crystals and i i feel like we have to yeah and I, I think we want to strive for like how do you maintain your sense of power in the face of fat phobia yeah exactly um even in a medical yeah. setting or interpersonal yeah. setting yeah yeah this is a really very i think like personal subject for me that I didn't maybe realize until like 40 years deep into my life. (laughs) Like I didn't, I've been a fat person since I was like four years old, five years old, but I've never, um, I think because of the intersections of my identity with like race and class and how I show up as a cis woman And just, like, the specifics of my personality, too, that I've never felt like I've really been bullied for fatness and that it's ever been something that I had to fight against in the way that I've seen a lot of my other friends really, really, really struggle. Yeah. With the way they were treated in a very different way. So I think I kind of... Maybe I have totally dissociated from, like, bullying and trauma, but I feel like that wasn't necessarily 
an experience of mine. Yeah. Do you feel like you... I... Or, like, how does it relate to you? Because I would not identify you as fat. Really? <laughs> yeah. But I don't want to identify anyone as fat. And that's what I think we need to talk about. Like, the construct is... Of fatness. Is bullshit. It's so weird. There's people who are, like, smaller than me who only talk about themselves as fat. Mm-hmm. And, like, always trying to lose weight or, like, work out to lose weight or just, mm-hmm. like, just always berating themselves with fatness. Mm-hmm. And... So I'm like, oh, well, if you're fat, I must surely be fat. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I feel fat. Yeah. Like. Well, fat's not a feeling. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so, the, but there, that's like such a good thing to note, to, to acknowledge. Yeah. Like it's not a feeling. Yeah. Um, so what do you mean when you say fat? I don't look at you and perceive you to have the social response that would cause you to have to buy two seats on an airplane or be denied a job or, you Mm -hmm. know, like you don't seem like you've been identified by this, by society as a marginalized person because of your weight. Not a target of fat phobia. Yes. Or systemic oppression because Mm -hmm. of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You can feel as fat as you want to. I'm not taking Mm -hmm. that away from you. Yeah, I wouldn't let you take that from me. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm just saying, like, yeah, it, it, I don't perceive you that way. Yeah. So there's, like, elements of, what am I trying to say? I'm thinking of, like, an aisle that's too small to walk down. Mm -hmm. So it's, like. You don't say that the aisle's too small. You say that the person is too big. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that type of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you fit in the aisles, in this, yeah. the aisle of society. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but I think like all of that speaks to the really complex layers of what fat phobia does Mm -hmm. because it creates the inner experience like I don't feel this way or how do I feel about myself and my body in public Um, and then it there's also the outer identity that's been created by society um, Mm -hmm. for fat people to marginalize fat people and it cuts that cuts across race and I want to say gender, but I think fat women have it much worse than fat men in society. Yeah. yeah. And when I say worse, I mean there are systems of oppression that operate differently on women or femmes that are fat versus men mm-hmm. or mask presenting people. Yeah. 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 Um, it, but it's it's all a construct. It's like the most construct of any. I mean, no, they're all they're all the most. They're all like. None of these social identities are like biological in nature, so they're all but it feels like so fake to me. The construct of the fat person, yeah, as an identity feels so so constructed. Like, I can see right through it, yeah, like as a class of 
people. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Because it's not like there's uh, um, I was going to say, there's not like a... An island where we come from? There, there's not like a club for fat people. Like, I mean, <laughs> you just don't know about it. Or like... It's a, a secret club. <laughs> or a part of town. It's like, this is the Latino neighborhood. This is the this black is neighborhood. This is fat town. This is where gay people hang out. Yeah. There's not like, this is... But I think like in the fat liberation movement, it's like allowed those spaces to open up. Like yeah. fat pool parties and like... Mm. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I think that, which brings up the, like, very complex idea of, like, fatness as an identity. Yeah. There are so many people, like, fat activists that identify themselves as fat. Mm-hmm. And then they put it with equal status with all of their other identities. Like, I'm also queer. I'm also a person of color. I'm also, you know, um, disabled or I'm you know, whatever it, yeah, I'm working poor or, you know, whatever their other identities are that they identify with. Um, and somebody asked me like, do I identify as fat? And I was just really struck by that question because I, for one, didn't ever think that I had a choice. Like Mm. I didn't think that that's a choice. Like, like not something to opt into. Yeah. Or opt out of, or Mm. yeah, at all. But then I started to think about, like, well, I do think about my other identities a lot. Like, I do think about how much or how little I perform cis womanhood. Mm -hmm. I think about how much or how little I perform Chicanismo or Latinidad. How much or how little I perform whiteness. Mm -hmm. How much or how little I perform my socioeconomic class with my education and, you know... And, but I don't think about how much I perform my fatness. Yeah. But I do think about how much of my identity is shaped by the fear of trauma of going out in the world and being oppressed for it. Mm-hmm. That does factor in to like thinking about how I show up in the world. Yeah. Will I be made fun of? Will I be excluded? Will I be hired at this job or not? Will I be seen by this doctor? Will they determine at the last minute that I won't fit in an airplane and I have to get an extra seat? Will So, like, I do consider those things. There's, like, landmines for social exclusion or, like, to be put on the spot or, like, for that to... For people's response to fatness become, like... A rupture in your just mundane life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which I think, and I'm not going to compare the oppressions because we don't want to, oppressions are incommensurable, but it is like maybe akin to like, I have, as a person of color, someone might have to worry about how do I act in front of the police? Like, even if that's not what's natural to their organic self-concept, they still have to consider that when they show up in the world, you know? Mm -hmm. So Um, I, yeah, I do, I do think the response to fatness is a part of my identity. I don't know what it's like to not be constantly thinking about that when I leave my house. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I didn't, I don't even think I was really aware that I was doing that. Yeah. Until very recently. Very like 
Ed's survival. I just somehow, I think because I didn't experience severe bullying the way I observed my mm. friends experiencing mm-hmm. it, that I somehow believed that I wasn't also being oppressed. Yeah. But I definitely, well, the first time I, it started to creep up for me was when I first moved to LA and I was going through my teacher prep program and I was interviewing and I've almost always been like hired on the spot, like in an interview or like, you know, called the very next night or that just after like, we want to offer you the job. Like I've never had a hard time getting jobs. And then I moved here and I I went on like 35 interviews in in LA yeah, Mm -hmm. to teach in one summer. And I started to think like, this is so weird and I started to consider, like, what could all the factors be? Maybe it's that I don't have a lot of classroom teaching experience. Maybe it's... And then I finally was like, I've heard that people don't get jobs because of fatness. I, I guess that could definitely be a factor. Mm-hmm. It, it, but I hadn't, I hadn't thought of that until I was 31 years old. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot. That's... Not shocking that that happened in L.A. I know. Now I know. It's like there's so many billboards for women and men now of, like, body augmentation, mm-hmm. like, fat-specific. Mm-hmm. It's such Freezing a your fat. capital of cosmetic surgery. And it's in the collective consciousness. Yeah. Unconsciousness. Yeah. Unconsciousness. Of L.A. Yeah. Yeah. Because I moved oh, here totally. from the Bay Area, mm-hmm. and I had no exposure or, like what do you call it? Like I had no barometer, no orientation toward the entertainment industry or physical appearance. I'm not saying I was like a monster that didn't like brush my hair, but like the, there's definitely that, that message that this like prime spot area is for a specific body type, Mm -hmm. a specific race or like income. And it's like, this is has pretty stable weather. Like it's mm-hmm. very easy to live here. It's inhabitable. It's not super hostile, like climate wise. Um, so then, like, wh- along with that fantasy is like showing your body mm-hmm. and like being social and like mm-hmm. uh, a total non-fat fantasy. Yeah. And so much pressure being here to like live that fantasy yeah. to embody it. Yeah. And also just the proximity to, like, the entertainment industry, mm-hmm. which is the one of the main perpetrators of, like, thin beauty standards. Yeah. It's so interesting to think about fat pop stars because they have to, I think, like, acknowledge it in some way and, like, make it fun or make it yeah. safe. You have to, they have to make it safe, yeah, for other yeah. people to like them. Yeah. I think of, like, that Megan, those Megan Trainor songs. And it has this, yeah. like, what I would call this beat that's trying to make fat as cute or, like, sell it as cute. Yeah. Yeah. And kind of, like, juvenile and, like... And kind of, like, a joke. Like, yeah. The her earlier music, like, the sun was, like, very cartoonish. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The entertainment industry is not the right place to look for like good <laughs> role models and representation yeah yeah, yeah. Mm. 
Um, so where does fat phobia come from? Such a natural question. <laughs> um, um, well, I can't read that monitor. Thank you. I did. Um, I did a research paper. Yes. <laughs> I did. That sounds so silly. I did a. I did a report on the country of Ireland and its <laughs> gross domestic product. You pulled is, out your yeah. encyclopedias. Exactly. <laughs> um, no, I did. I had a class called psychology of violence and even though i do not know i'm not a a fat stigma scholar Mm -hmm. um by any means in fact i have a non other than my own knowledge of my own body i don't have like a academic knowledge of the research or the literature that's out there um i still opted to explore the idea of fat bodies as sites of violence Mm. because i had this suspicion that fat phobia like all terrible things must come from colonialism (laughs) it it just must like i mean doesn't that seem right though to you that it's rooted in white supremacy and white western beauty standards yeah it's white supremacy tries to have its hands in every facet of life yeah and is invested in creating an yeah. other in every way yeah. possible. Yeah. And and I have been playing with this idea for a little while about what disgust is. Mm-hmm. And because I am disgusting. <laughs> I'm disgusting. Tell me more. I am a disgusting body in this society. I don't, I like, and I'm not, and I'm not saying that I think that I'm disgusting. I'm saying that society would look at me and think I'm disgusting. Mm -hmm. And, but because of all the things I know about like the Akashic records, I know that that cannot be true. Mm -hmm. So it allowed me to like see through the smoke and mirrors of the idea of disgust Mm. and try to look into like, well, what's what really is there? Yeah. What you did know. you... Can you say more of what disgust is? Yes. So, mm, I started thinking about disgust as a judgmental repulsion. So on the mm, one hand, we think that it's like, Um, just like an instinctual repulsion, like, oh, I smelled the rotten milk and it was disgusting and I like, almost gagged. But, so sure, that's your, maybe your body saying, don't consume this thing that could be toxic. Yeah. And so you have this feeling of repulsion, revulsion. um, But then when we find people or living beings disgusting, we know to like, We ascribe a value judgment to disgusting. So, like, we wouldn't ever say that, like, spoiled milk is, like, good or bad. Like, ethically good or morally bad. There there is a relationship between disgust and, like, morality. Yes. Like, it's a fun... Like, on a physical level, like, being disgusted to sour milk is... It serves you well. Yeah. It keeps you not sick. Yeah, exactly. So then, if disgust is, like 
has a social moral function, yeah, then it's you're being repulsed by identities or people or bodies who yeah are more I don't know how to say it like more other than you or mm-hmm. more like farther away from whiteness mm-hmm. or the mm-hmm. the white colonial like ideal mm-hmm. so you're like it's a an att- like to have, be disgusted by a, someone is to like dissociate with them and to mm-hmm. like cur- like I guess just create that distance and to show that I'm not yeah. done with that. That's not exactly. me. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. And, and so I started, I really like this really started like fermenting not to, you know, talk about spoiled milk. Yeah. Um, ferment- talk about spoiled eggs. <laughs> I mean, you spoil milk long enough. Guess what? You got yogurt and we all love yogurt. <laughs> so go to hell. Um, <laughs> But, um, I, you can look on my Instagram if you want, but in my history of my Instagram, I did this post where I, um, reposted a picture of a fat model on Afropunk and I was looking through the comments and I know not to look through the comments, but I did anyway. Mm -hmm. And there was one, I mean, there was a lot of like, oh, she's unhealthy. Oh, this, there's a lot of like health trolling, but there was one comment in particular that just really pierced my heart and it the person said it hurts to look at her like they were identifying her body as such a site of like disgust that they could they were trying to say that they could feel how awful it must be to be her in their own bodies and when I look at the picture I was like here's a fucking confident ass woman posing in a bikini top Mm mm-hmm done the fuck up looking pretty fly and not asking for your opinion at all. And yet thousands of you had to like chime in. Mm -hmm. And even the ones that appeared supportive were like, so condescending, like good for you, girl, like you're brave. That is beautiful. Yeah, exactly. Like, Hey, it's not our business if she's unhealthy, like just still, just still, still troll. Like, just still trolling and and i started to think about like this woman's body besides being like very well beat in the face and beautiful like done up yeah is not that dissimilar from my body Mm. and so thank god x for all of the ignorance i have of anyone's commentary uh of me at the beach or wearing shorts crossing the street. Like, thank mm-hmm. God I've been spared that. Because if it's anything like the comments here, there were people that were like, she should be dead. Like, like there were really horrifying comments. Yeah. And so I just started to think about, like, what this picture, like, engendered some crazy response like a really outlandish, wild response mm-hmm. in strangers. And I started to realize that, like, disgust is, and I think maybe my Akashic Records were firing constant, like, throughout this, but, like, disgust is akin or related to or linked to a fear of losing love. Mm that 
it's a way to, like you said, push something unlovable away from you. Yeah. And in our society, to be fat is to be unloved, mm. unaccepted. And we might, like, package it in all these, like, very, you know, deceiving ways. Like, oh, but she's unhealthy and I'm just concerned for her health. Or, you know, all we might dress it up in language that for a second might make us think it's not about she's actually rejected and unacceptable to me. But that's really what it is. And then knowing what I know about mirroring and the law of attraction and all those things is that we will be the most critical of the things that are the most painful to us about ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so I started thinking about like, wow, truly everyone is fat phobic. Yeah. Yeah, and everyone is performing fat phobia throughout their everyday. Yeah. Either towards themselves or towards yeah. um, others. I wanted to say that I had a thought while you're sharing that that there's like a sense that thinking of that Instagram photo mm-hmm. of like that person is full of self hatred because mm. why would you do that to your body? And so people who are like... The commenter or the model? The commenter thinking of, of the model. Oh, okay. So even to like, to say like, oh, like good for you, like that kind of comment, it's condescending because they're like alluding to like it's not her fault or yeah. like she doesn't know any better yeah. or that's the best she could do. Yeah. So good job. So there's a layer there of also ascribing stupidity or ignorance or inability, uneducated, um, unmotivated. You know, like there's so many, like we said earlier, fat's not a feeling. Yeah. And, but we, we equate it to so many adjectives. So like, what are, what are other things that people imagine as disgusting? Like, well, murders, yeah. Like abuse. Homelessness. Um, homelessness. Dirtiness. Swine. Yeah. Um, um, the foods people eat. Junk food. Junk food, but also just thinking about like in the Western world, what we would consider. Like even just the spoiled milk. I started thinking about mm-hmm. how like in many cultures, fermentation which in the west we would like consider fermentation disgusting because you've allowed food to spoil to a point of like yeast and bacteria growing Mm -hmm. in it in other cultures fermented foods are intentionally fermented i mean we drink wine here come on but like in other what cheese Cheese, exactly like your kombucha your beer your you know your toilet wine (laughs) you know like all these things i feel like that is definitely linked to capitalism and like what is a sellable product and totally how long like you can't sell fermented foods can't be like a huge market because they take so much time to create they have a long shelf life too yeah and And so so you don't need to turn over exactly the need is so short exactly so if you pasteurize things and you like shorten the life the natural Mm -hmm. life of food then people are going to be constantly needing to buy more and more and more. Yeah. So disgust is also like a tool of capitalism. Yes. Wow. 
Definitely. Do you want me to talk about this paper? I want you to talk about the paper um, now. I feel like this is turning into an interview and it definitely doesn't need to be. It feels like. You don't have to interview me. <laughs> well, I'm trying to get us to the paper and I want you to share um, the those statistics you oh, told me yeah. about. Yeah. About like how, like, uh, what was it? Fatness and work? Yeah. Wage loss. Wage loss. Um. So I guess that's like the climate change, impact. fatness and climate yeah. change. Oh, yeah. that one is so absurd. It's absurd. Um, yes. So did I already mention the class? Yeah. The, yeah, you said. Yeah, yeah. So I am decided to, I had this hunch that I wanted to follow because I'm a detective in academia <laughs> that um, fat phobia is linked to colonialism some way and this may be very basic knowledge for any of you listeners out there you might have studied this but i didn't know it and i think most people don't know this um it is indeed linked to colonialism and what i found was um that fat phobia first was born when in like, through like anthropological exploration of like Africa and um, indigenous places around the world where people were plucked and enslaved, people were plucked from and enslaved and brought to the Western world. And um, there's a, there became a, intersection of like finding these like indigenous dark skin fat bodies of Mm -hmm. people like indigenous people and they were um they became you know like for white colonial colonizers like the objects of their sexual desire Mm. but it was so bestial to their taste as these like very ascetic Judeo-Christian colonial modernist thinkers. And so what I found was like, um, the story of Sarah Bartman. She's the, the first like story that I read about Sarah Bartman was brought, she was captured by a British slave owner, Alexander Dunlop. And she was, taken to Europe and she was exhibited in like Mm -hmm. an early cabaret type of show. Um, and she, in this article that I read strings 2019, they said that she would emerge from a dark corner with a spear and then she would like slowly take her clothes off and kind of like, you know, dancing in like a sexual manner. And, um, her shows were selling out because people were just, obsessed with the sexualization of this like fat African woman. She's from South Africa. Mm. Um, So there's this like sexualization. So this magnetic pull to her, Mm -hmm. but then at the same time, this repulsion because she is totally challenging like colonial taste and Mm. the uh, air quotes around like decency and like civility and femininity. She's challenging all these things. Yeah. They're like, 
she becomes the stand-in for. I I feel like when, there people are like, watching her like they're also seeing some part of themselves, that they don't get to make contact with, mm. like, this yeah. this like, this sexuality, this yeah. like performance, this like, revealing yes. of the body, yeah. this like connection to, nature, yeah, and. Like, totally. imagine, like, what do you think of, like, as a, I think of a colonial person, like, Victorian, like, corseted, like, yeah, buttoned absolutely. up, like, powdered, like, just totally yeah. this fear of the body. Yeah. Yes. And so that's exactly right. And I'm not at all comparing my life to the, like, horrific conditions of her life, but it did make me start to think that, like, Okay, sexual attraction is just a natural component. I know that it's informed by our, like, social tastes and whatever. But we, to be sexually attracted to someone else is, like, a natural response. Mm -hmm. And so I've thought about, like, all the times that I have either been, like, could confirm that somebody was sexually attracted to me, but Mm -hmm. so challenged... Mm -hmm by yes. it that they treated me really bad mm-hmm. so like they they created me in an image of disgust in order yes. to like make themselves feel okay about these complex feelings they're having for me and i've had on the flip side people fetishize me mm-hmm. specifically for being a fat person that they were attracted to yes yeah, so in like both cases there's objectification and and like either an excuse to distance or an excuse to create closeness exactly so like the fetishization it's like you're not a human i don't like you because you're a person yeah i like you because you're a thing yeah totally and it's like and i can't control that because that's just my sexuality yeah 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 exactly yeah so from Sarah Bartman's just one of many, like, stories, but, like, from Alexander Dunlop, there were, like, other pseudo-scientific, like, anthropologists that went out around the world, or they were from Europe, like, I cited Buffon, Buffon and Diderot, um, who, they wrote about her, they wrote about others, and they, like, successfully linked fatness and blackness in the European consciousness. So like in the like Western European consciousness, Mm -hmm. now there is this like association between the two. Mm. And, um, because this was like, you know, a false science and that white men created by white men and all this is created by white men. Like there aren't, there might be, there may have been white women anthropologists, I don't know, I haven't found them, who went out and did this, but, like, if they were, they were only listening to the white, cis, het, male gaze to create these ideas, too, if mm-hmm. there were. But, like, so the white, cis, het, cisgendered, hetero, um, sexual, male gaze mm-hmm. now was attracted but repulsed to fat, black female bodies Mm -hmm. and so you mentioned corsets and like this is around the same time that corsets were created to like for white women 
So, like, these ideas that, like, okay, we need to, like, take the power back. Or we need your, we need the women to take the power back and reorient our gaze at them. So we're mm. going to make them out to be weak, fragile, faint, vulnerable, corseted, thin, dainty, mm-hmm. like the total opposite. And we get these... And these beauty standards, I'm not saying that they didn't exist before that, but like the real hardcore like following of them in like the Baroque era, like the 1700s, yeah, yeah. like we still see it today. You can go mm-hmm. and buy like a waist trainer today. A waist trainer, a faha. Yes, exactly. And like Spanx. those things are so just like a given or like... yeah. Yeah. Everyone's like using them. Yeah. I have, I have Spanx. Yeah. Spanx are like a, a girdle. Like I literally, I have, I have them myself. Yeah. And I'm not even saying that it's wrong to use them because I use it and I'm fine with it. And I don't feel bad. But when I think about, when I really sit and think with like, why do I have this? Why do I want my body, even though I have a big body, why do I need it to appear flat or mm-hmm. smooth? Who cares? Who gives mm-hmm. a shit? But I I do. I need it. I yeah. 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 It's I mean like corsets are so corsets are so gross because women will like be unable to eat, they can break their ribs, they can like faint. You know, like I would not be surprised if women have died from wearing a corset because there was a performer on a podcast recently talking about wearing a corset for so long that the metal broke through the fabric and like started cutting their skin. Uh-huh. And later on, they found like threads of fabric in their yeah. lodged in their body. Yeah. So they're also, I would say, deadly. Yeah, totally. And then that's like, their a corset is a weapon, also. Mm. Yeah. Like, look at how assaulting it is yeah. on the physical body. And yeah. then what is the assault on the psyche to, yeah. to feel like you have to wear one to, to it's, function? Especially because, like, like, all of the things that cause violence in the world today is because of the need f- for men cis men to feel okay with themselves like it's you know we talk about the fragility of white women a lot yeah. but there's an even bigger fragility of white men and also the fragility of a white woman was created in the but, in the gaze mm, of mm, white men yes in the gaze of like hetero cishet white patriarchal the monolith of that and like that's why like women took on these beauty standards to like assuage their men's own shame and like the idea that they're even perverse yeah that it's perverse to be sexually attracted to a fat dark-skinned body is like like look at that clap back like oh yeah world well we're gonna make women wear corsets and (laughs) want to die if they're not thin and we're going to like enslave fat black women and indigenous women yeah and tell me if i missed this what you didn't understand earlier but now i'm seeing like to to create some disgusting other like they had to like the this like the the perfect counterpart 
had to be created by force. So like totally wrestled into the corset it's all to like create no, the yeah. contrast yeah. between whiteness and blackness yeah. and yeah. fat and skinny and civil and wild. Yeah. Um, so yeah. neither is just inherently there. Like right. there's so much power put into yeah. to manifesting into like contouring the yeah. body to create them. Yeah. Yeah. So much like yeah. manifesting to, to make it physical. Yeah. That's so so whoa it gets woer <laughs> okay take me there okay so i yeah i want to say to talk about later like although there's such um distancing between people and fatness like everyone is like benefiting from the idea of fatness uh, maybe not benefiting but like there's no way to be without fatness. Like, I don't know. Where is this coming from? There's something there. Like, uh, maybe I'm just thinking of the Alexis Pauline poem, The Fat Black Woman. Mm. Of, like, fat people are, like, helping you in your life. Oh, yeah. But that's specifically fat black women. Yeah. So I want to, like make that distinction that there is a historical difference, an important difference between the experience of fat black women, fat indigenous women and fat white women. Yeah. Like it's an important, and that's like, I mean like fat phobia comes from the abject marginalization of fat black indigenous women of color. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what were you saying? So the deeper we go. So like I read this article by love 2018 And what Love is saying is that the oppression of fat black bodies and fat indigenous bodies and like to not uh, separate blackness from indigeneity, especially in pre-colonial times. Yeah. The oppression of fat black and indigenous bodies was a way for colonizers to remove the divinity from fat black and indigenous people. So we have multiple times over across the world images of goddess of fertility, goddess of fertility, mm-hmm. creator goddess, mother goddess. There's a fat woman that fertility and creation itself is the body of a fat indigenous or black woman. Mm-hmm. And to like now allow the colonial man to come and determine that this is like a body worthy of enslavement and labor and sexualization regulation and control is to, is to be, is to also like attempt to remove the divinity from, Mm. from the creators of this planet and of humanity, which is to really like, try to kill the ar- archetypal mother. Mm-hmm. And I think like that really shook me. I've always like, haven't always, but s- learning about like Mashika gods and goddesses and God X and like seeing like the God, the fertility goddesses and like Kwatlikwe and the way Kwatlikwe is like depicted as very like, kind of like short and stout and, rotund and like super powerful wearing like the the faha of hands and hearts and 
you know, like of the, of, you know, like just seeing that image and then comparing it to even the, even the Virgen de Guadalupe, who is so dainty and mm-hmm. feminine and beautifully cloaked. And I'm not, I love, yeah. I love Guadalupe, but like, she's a depiction of coloniality. Yes. And so just seeing one who is cast down, who's abject, who is vile, disgusting of mm-hmm. the earth and one that is revered. She's even Guadalupe is depicted as like floating, hovering above the earth, not touching it uh-huh. with like flowers and cherub at her feet. Standing on the moon and mm-hmm. lit yeah. by the eclipsing the sun. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Just those, those images. And it's like, to me, when I look at it, I'm like, the heart of the colonizer is riddled with fear Yes. of the power of creation that they cannot control. Mm-hmm. And so they try to destroy it and enslave it. Yeah. And kill it. Yeah. And kill it with things that seem like docile or abstract. Like there's also like the, con- the construction of, of beauty. Mm. Um, so you have this like earthen goddess and mm. this beautiful, like Guadalupe, a celestial figure. Mm-hmm. So it's like the, one of the counterparts to discuss. Yeah, yeah. Part of the binary. Yeah, and I guess we didn't really talk about disgust. So disgust, disgust is really interesting to me because it's a taste maker. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> it like creates taste. It like disgust as a judgment creates what we will engage with and what we will cast out. Mm. And so one of the things I found was um, actually Sarah Ahmed, who's like a a queer phenomenologist who we're reading a lot, who's really incredible, um, wrote about disgust as a, you know, a way for anthropologists to separate and kind of like, oppress or create a re- like create the rationalization mm-hmm. for marginalizing indigenous mm-hmm. bodies that they sleep on the floor and they eat with their hands and right, they're uncivil. Right. They don't wear clothes. They don't bathe. They don't mm-hmm. use toilets. They don't, you know, they don't wear clothes. Exactly. They, they live in huts. They live in caves. Exactly. They're, they, they're of the mud. They, they're, shoes. they live in darkness. Yeah. And therefore they're disgusting. And so we have to like save them. We have to civilize them. And that was the, the beginning because it came from like this scientific, you know, quotes around scientific, but like anthropological science perspective yeah. It created the whole framework for the medical industry. Mm. So now today we have people, black women is one of the groups I can think of, but like black bodies going into and dark skin bodies going into like, you know, hospitals asking for care. And they're basically just told like, no, you, you know, black people don't feel pain the way the rest of the world yeah. does. So and that's like, what we think of like, injured animals like they're fine they can take it yeah they can take it and i mean it doesn't it doesn't the racism knows no bounds we just heard of like um 
Serena Williams, who almost died in childbirth because she was not believed. And it's like she has social capital. She has money. She has access to so many things that other black women don't. But even her, like, that's, like, just bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I started thinking about how the BMI, the body mass index... The diagnosis of, I'm going to say the word, even though it is a bad word, the O word, (laughs) obesity, which is a bad word. The diagnosis of that is like to mark you by an institution of medicine as disgusting and other and inherently wrong. And And ill, like sickness. Yeah. It's like you're... Pathologizing your body. Pathologizing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's yeah. like, there's all the, all the, it's an interesting topic because you, all of the, like, weapons and, like, tools of colonialism, you see them, like, intersect in, in a way that is, like, again, in a different way, like, the body is, like, the side of it, mm-hmm. and just so nuanced to create the fat body, yeah. to create fatness. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's so trippy. Yeah. But also not at all. Yeah. It's totally goes in line with everything that Western European colonialism, what modernism has pathologized, has cast out, has marginalized, monetized, monetized. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't really touch on it, but this idea that like, if you're marked as a fat person by doctors, you're told by an institution that allegedly knows the most Mm -hmm. about health, that there's something wrong with you. So if there's something wrong with you, then that means that you're not acceptable. And if you're not acceptable, in this homogenized society, you're going to stay consuming products that will help you feel yes. normal. Yes. So I'm going to buy, I'm going to buy waist trainers. So I fucking die. Come for me. <laughs> like, you know, like that, because if that makes me feel acceptable when I have to live my everyday life. Yeah. I might keep doing that forever. I don't need to prove anything. I just write a paper. I don't need to like change the world. but you know what i mean like the pain of not fitting in is so that's the legacy of colonialism i think of that yeah from my lens like sometimes being a gay person it's the like the size and shape of your body is such yeah uh a determinant of like what spaces you have access to and your value and even like affects how your desire is read. Yeah. Like for, for me who is not thin, but I guess not fat either. (laughs) It's like, but people still have this repulsion or like, like oh why is that fat guy looking at me yeah first of all i'm not a guy mm-hmm. yeah let's get that straight <laughs> let's get that crooked queer <laughs> wow i know um but i wanted to say that there's like science is such a weapon of colonialism and capitalism because there's always trying to like 
use the body and DNA and the molecule as like the source of of anything like race or gender or sexuality or fatness. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's a move to try to say that these identities are natural and they're happening from inside. So if you're fat or queer, like it's read as like a defect of, of the DNA. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, As you were talking, I was starting to think of like why, queerness why queering this is so important because especially like fatness in like the gay world mm-hmm. and i'm gonna say like gay mask world not gay, gay cis mask yeah exactly it's important because that's literally the hyper masculine gaze looking at itself yes and so it's like when you put two mirrors up and it just goes to infinity <laughs> Like, two mirrors looking at each other. It's like, how fit can you get? Well, I'm going to tell you, dude, how much you bench, how much you bench. Like, it's just, it's going to go on forever. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. It, it's it's a not sustainable fixation on specific body type in that world. It just has no end. It has no end. Way. And it's like. I feel like you can see that, like, historically, like. Marilyn Monroe was like the skinny body. Yeah. And then in today she's fat. Yeah. So it just gets smaller and smaller. Yeah. To the fucking molecule. Yeah. Exactly. And if you study like, you know, fucking agential reality, then you know the (laughs) molecules that have consciousness and are not trying to be skinny. The molecules are like, don't put me on a diet. I've come from love. I'm a quantum particle. I'm going to jump to this other dimension. I'll be back real quick. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I'm a quantum particle that's about to go to a dimension where they have unlimited cookies. (laughs) (laughs) Cookie dough on tap. Exactly. Ew. (laughs) Dope on top of dough. Yeah. Dang. I know. Take me with you. I know. Take me to the cookie dimension. (laughs) (laughs) We're made of cookies. I know. Uh, Yeah. Which is kind of disgusting. Jason just made a gesture of biting. His own <laughs> I was arm. thinking of Homer Simpson. Yeah, exactly. He was a fat white guy or a fat yellow guy, mm-hmm. cis, straight, is fat, and then they associate him with stupidity. Homer, you're talking about Homer. Homer yeah. Or yellow guy, meaning Simpson. Oh, I didn't say his name. No, you said I was thinking of Homer in the donut. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But... Talking about Homer. But then he has, like, this crazy job at, like, a nuclear power plant, which is, like, he needs to be so competent. But then he gets to, he's, like, portrayed as, like, just a dumb jerk. Yeah. But at the same time, they've, like, endeared him to to so many people. So it's, like... Do you remember the episode with Frank Grimes? Yes. Yeah, grimy. Like, that's the whole point of that episode is how... This guy is observing how this guy gets, Homer gets a pass, even though he's a total idiot, because that's the power of, like, white cis males. I mean, Grimes was a white cis male, too. He just had a chip on his shoulder. but He was a nerd. But he, yeah, he was a nerd. And Homer's cool. He's a party animal. He's, yeah. Okay, there's the character of the cool fat guy. Yeah. You, gotta, you can be fat, but you gotta be cool. Yeah, exactly. Dang. Yeah, it's, there's so many... But all that to say that it's just a construct. So, mm-hmm. like, all of us, hundreds of years after the enslavement of Sarah Bartman, are living the legacy of what she had 
to survive through. Yeah. Even if we're not living in black or indigenous or bodies of color, we're all fat phobic. We're all afraid that we will be marked as unacceptable or other or unloved if we are known as fat. And like forced into the way she was into a performance of it for survival. For survival. You can't, you can fight against it, but you're going to, you lose. Yeah. 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 So So I'll, it's coercive. Yeah, absolutely. And now it's just so deep in our consciousness and our self concept. Mm -hmm. And we teach our kids to be thin, to be, I mean, I have so many memories of just stuff, just, I mean, I grew up in the eighties, but like, and I think things are very different now, maybe, but like this idea of like, I am not allowed to wear horizontal stripes. So I'm not allowed to wear, I'm not allowed to wear, um, uh, even bright colors. I should just wear black. It's slimming. Yeah. Don't wear orange. Don't wear orange or yellow or white. Oh my God. You look like a sheet. Don't wear a crop top. Don't show your stomach. Nobody wants to see that. Like. Calling yeah. my body rolls. But also, don't wear anything too big because you look like you're wearing a muumuu. Or... It's like, yeah. what are you supposed to wear? Yeah. Yeah. I, I had a lot of memories recovered to me as I wrote this paper because I was writing this, like, academic research that I was doing, but I was also, like, interweaving my own narrative of my own experience. And, like, I remember my dad putting me in, like, a three or four X men's Hanes beefy tee, mm. like a thick ass t-shirt with like the shoulder seam is like to in between elbow. my elbow and my <laughs> wrist. <laughs> and it's got some kind of terrible like beach, like San Diego and like a sun and like a just terrible and like elastic waist shorts. Cause that's what I was allowed to wear. And then Telling me in the same moment, like, you know, nobody wants to see your body. You look like a boy. You better not be a fucking lesbian. Like, all those things in one. But, like, you put me in this shirt. You, wait, what can I be? What am I allowed to be here? Yeah, there's a, uh, some associations with like fatness and mask or femme yeah like the way it yeah people large marge tell them large marge sent you big bertha yeah and they're really very masculine yeah characters yeah i mean yeah so like i mean then from sarah bartman we get like the actual mammies that raised the children of the early colonizers and then we get the trope of the mammy Mm -hmm. that plays out in the media of this like fat black woman who is forced to be the wet nurse or the mother figure of the children that have like enslaved her and taken her own children away from her and yeah and then the fat body is like a like a source of resources yeah it's the fertility goddess being captured and then forced to to labor labor. and not just labor like okay we're gonna put you on phones for an hour but like 
we're going to force you to do the labor for what you actually were created to do, which is to be a mother. It's disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's repulsive. That kind of... It's hideous. It's it's hideous. It's abject. And it's every time that we, like, have a self-hating thought because of our own weight or judge someone else because of fatness, we're keeping that framework alive. Yeah. Well, I'm not saying that we are enslavers or colonizers, but I'm saying that we're keeping alive the same perspective that allowed that to happen in the first place, in a sense. Yeah. I I feel like it's so, like, powerful to acknowledge the way everyone's, like, policing themselves for yeah. fatness like yeah. there's very long historical ideas have become like we're the ones like enforcing those beliefs on ourselves or like practicing them yeah so even internally like you're not necessarily safe yeah if you don't know yeah it's yeah, there's like no way we check each other, but then we also check ourselves. We're just in a constant state of policing about our bodies. Yeah. Constantly. It's and it's every decision can be like riddled with it, like, should I eat that? Like yeah. oh my god, it didn't work out yeah. or Well the the tentacles of fat phobia, I think and this is just me, I have not read anything else about this, but I think the tentacles of fat phobia end up disconnecting from the body itself Mm. and they start having these far-reaching implications for the ways we treat each other Mm. and the Mm. way we think about ourselves that truly have nothing or maybe don't have an overt connection back to a fat body. Yeah. So I talk about my, I talk to you about my own experience that I had recently of um, feeling after an interaction with someone like I was irredeemable. Yes. Like they said something, they said in front of a group that they were done with me. Um, I know, believe it or not, little Leah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it, I mean, there's a whole story, but like basically they took issue with me and said it in front of a group. And so now I had this like fear that people would, even people that knew me and loved me that observed this would now side with that new concept of me that I was irredeemable because it's easier to throw away a fat body, Mm. even if that's not what's present in your mind. Yes. That like just meeting me is, there's so many like connotations attached to my body And it's not because of anyone's fault and it's a totally unconscious process. But like one of those is that fat people are disposable. They're not worth it. So if I do anything to break a norm or a social contract, then I already have a mark against me because I showed up being disposable. Yes. I, and that isn't going to, I think if, like, I asked anyone who witnessed this experience, does this have to do with my body? They would say, absolutely not. Like, no, 
like not at all but i think it does and i don't think it's conscious yeah yeah i i feel like there's but it's not as unconscious as we think it is either maybe i think it's more conscious than not really yeah well i'm trying to think of like i keep thinking about people commenting on that photo you mentioned yeah and like the performance of allyship like she's beautiful like way to go good job yeah and the person who's throwing that that the person making who i don't know how to say this the commenter the from your experience yeah in the group yeah who threw you away yeah is that what she said whatever yeah yeah okay it's like to to like allies are problematic because even that is a self-serving investment Mm. like it's Mm. it's uh it's to like position an ally positions themselves in like socially like being out of so in support of yeah disenfranchise others yeah but then it's like when it doesn't serve them they can toss it aside they can drop it yeah but i don't think that's an inherent issue with allyship i think that Maybe performative allyship. That's, yeah. But I think there are people out there that are true allies that would stand even stand there even when it gets uncomfortable. Yeah. I think they exist. Mm. I, I mean, I th- yeah, I think they exist. And I think that speaks to the argument that people have, like, don't be an ally, be an accomplice. Yeah. So, like, yes. put, put okay. your body in the position of risk uh-huh. if you really want to support the liberation. Yeah. That should happen here. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because like what I'm talking about, I just realized I did this was I like centered this massive oppressive structure on my own personal experience. And I'm not saying that I'm a, a I'm not saying that this experience bore the weight of all of fat phobia. Right. I'm saying that there are elements that could not be, absent because of the body I live in. Yeah. Yeah. In the same way that like you might be a white person that really loves a black woman's hair and if you say or t- try to touch her hair, race is absolutely yes. a part of that. Yes. Yeah. And racism is a part of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like to sh- to show to make the fantasy real. Yeah. Of of these identities. Yeah. But, so, a really important thing happened to me because of this experience and this, a lot of the research that I found was absolutely, completely absurd and unfounded. So, like, I mentioned the climate climate change. (laughs) One of the papers I read was a, basically hypothesizing that around, I think it was like 5% of climate change must be due to fat people who drive cars because they make their cars heavier by being so fat and therefore a heavier car requires more gas Mm -hmm. to move forward. And they started citing like, you know, Newton's law of motion and like the heavier masses, the more force it takes to propel forward. And so you need more gas to push a car. So fat people use more gas and the more gas that's required require is going to have more emissions and also more fracking or more extraction. So it's like, uh, but they couldn't cite any studies. So they hadn't done any studies of 
fat drivers. Like, mm-hmm. this would be a totally problematic study to begin with, but, like, they they were just hypothesizing based on what they know of, like, laws of motion and, like, laws of mass and stuff. Yeah, like, and that's, that's, like, Newton's modernist. Exactly. But, like, the thought that, like, one of those scientists could have seen and me he just, like, crossing was... the street and thought, hey, that woman right there is to blame for climate change. Yeah, she's wearing her shoes down too fast, too. Yeah, exactly. And it's, like, it shows, like, what is the investment in creating an other, a fat other? Yeah. And it's always deflecting blame or deflecting imperfection or flaws yeah. in the colonial structures or yeah. capitalist yeah. practices. Yeah. It's like, well, we were extracting just enough oil, but these drivers, like, they need more. Yeah. And it's, like, that the idea of, like, that greedy resource-consuming Yeah, yeah that too. Exactly. Yeah. The other really interesting thing I found, which really assuaged a lot of my own shame for not having a 9-to-5 job for several years now, <laughs> um, was that I read another study that said that for every 60 pounds a person is overweight, they, on average, will make... less than their average weight counterparts. And then this is like, I mean, I didn't read this in there, but like it must be um, complicated by the intersections of other identities. So if you're a fat white woman, you're going to make probably more than a fat black woman Mm -hmm. or like indigenous woman or queer person. You know, so like if a hundred, if you're 120 pounds overweight, that's 18% of a pay gap that you're That's experiencing. Huge. That's huge. So I was like, oh, it's actually in my best interest <laughs> to be in business for myself yes. because then there is no limit. And you know, like I take the ceiling off of that for myself. I mean, not I have to work with people who have to hire me, but like, yeah. but like I'm not, susceptible then to that same pay gap so Mm -hmm. it's smarter to not have a nine-to-five job wow i know that's so wild i know it's really crazy but it shows like fat phobia is not just like calling someone fat or yeah it's also structural and totally that's part of the colonial root that's why it's like linked because there's a structural oppression Well, that's why, like, the fat liberation movement is so different from the body positivity movement. Yes, yes. The fat liberation movement was to seek liberation from systemic oppression of fat bodies, Mm -hmm. whereas the body positivity movement is really about, like, how do you find self-love in a system that devalues fatness Mm -hmm. and other things that they devalue about bodies, hairiness, you know, um, skin color, like, you know, but so they really distilled out the body positivity movement really distilled out the political oomph behind fat liberation, which is more concerned with changing systems and dismantling oppression than just. Yeah. Like it doesn't matter if you, I mean, it matters, but like yourself, love, only go so far in a medical setting yeah like it's like you yeah it's also like 
okay, so you love yourself and you can, like, represent yourself in front of a doctor, but not everyone can. Yeah. So fat liberation is, like, addressing that bigger, deeper picture. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because I I thought, especially, I reflected on so many parts of my life when I was writing this paper, but, like, one of the things I reflected on was how I, like, the first time I, like, wore a crop top, I was 30. Mm Mm-hmm. Five, thirty-six. Yeah. I was very old to be a part. You know, like I was older. I thought, and I just went and I was like, "Wow!" I lo- was looking at myself in the mirror, trying on clothes, and I was like, "Why does this look weird?" And I was like, "Oh wait!" And I like tied my shirt up, and I could see my belly, like my skin. Mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh, that looks better." And I didn't realize what I had done until later that night. I came home, and I was like, "Oh my god!" I wore a crop top this whole day. Wow! And I realized that it was because. I had internalized a lot of the fat positive, like, things I was seeing on, like, Instagram. Mm -hmm. The okayness that was starting to arise Mm. with, like, plus-size models. Like, internalizing it. Yeah, like, internalizing it for myself that it somehow became okay. It was breaking a paradigm for me. So Mm. that's an example of me being body positive but did my wearing of a crop top change the pay gap issue no <laughs> like, did i save the wage issue did yeah. i end climate change That's... no wow what a way to tie that together <laughs> should we talk about things that we can do in our own lives to there's a lot. There's so many things we could go with in this direction. There's so many directions yeah. we could go in mm-hmm. this part of our podcast. So if you have just listened for the first time, we always focus on like a topic, and then we love to like talk about practical tools or strategies that we do to like work through whatever that topic is. Yeah, and, and this is a difficult one. It is because we're trying to. We and like you should know we. T- strive to have some like metaphysical component with Mm -hmm. these topics with these tools Mm -hmm. i mean towards the end so let's just work through it okay so we talked about there's the self-love part there's the liberation parts Mm -hmm. like broader picture there's the historical colonial roots Mm -hmm. there's like science assaulting Mm -hmm. us um i feel like we're striving for tools that help us to i think we said this earlier maintain our power in the face of fat phobia yeah maintain our connection to worthiness to our um lovableness i think you talked about um acceptability acceptability to to live outside of a binary of, yeah. of that creates fatness or disgust. Yeah. Um, so is anything coming to mind for you? Yes. So the way that I work through this, one, and I talk about this all the time, is being an Akashic Record reader. Yes. It gives you, the Akashic Records are the vibrational record of your soul from its inception. And it is a dimension of consciousness that is, completely ground not even grounded there's no ground but it's it's it it is the consciousness of compassion and love unconditional love and compassion so anything that you take to the records 
you will be met with an understanding that is rooted in compassion and love. Yes. So my not now being a records practitioner for Akasha practitioner for four years now has transformed my self concept that like above and beyond the body I live in, I am a being that is unconditionally loved. Yeah. And there's unconditional compassion for me. So that knowledge of me has allowed me, that's like my armor that has allowed me to, to trudge into the world of fat phobia and explore it and not just crumble in front of all the stuff I read. Yeah. Even if you can't, if you don't know how yet to open your Akashic records or work in there, you brought this up earlier, Leah, the question of how can I love myself even if... Yeah, which is a question of our teacher, Linda Howe. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, how can I love myself if I'm experiencing fat phobia? Yeah. How can I love myself if I'm, like, perpetrating fat phobia? Yeah. Performing fat phobia? How can I love myself if I'm afraid that I'm unloved? Yeah. How, how can, yeah. can I love myself if people think I'm disgusting? How can I love myself even if I if people think I'm disgusting? And that is, that is what transformed for me. Yes. So I started understanding when I was reading that woman's, that post that I made reading the, the comments, was that that woman, that model, triggered in other people an altered state of consciousness where they were living in their trauma. They were living in the fear, their worst fears of being powerless to being unloved. Mm. And they responded in any, in many different kinds of ways from health trolling to calling her disgusting to saying she should die to whatever. And I realized that like, that is a spell Mm. that her mere presence is transforming their reality in that moment. And so I started thinking about how I do that to people, like how my mere existence is a spell and it shakes people and it might shake people to feel disgust toward me. But because I know that there is no such thing as disgust, it's a colonial construct. Mm -hmm. And I know that this world, the natural world is beautiful and loving. Yeah. I feel like that is part of where like the queering of fatness is yeah because for me queerness is like why it is so assaulting to people and like think of especially like queer activists their activism is dancing in fucking tiny shorts Mm -hmm. and it's like oh it's showing like such a willingness to be you Mm -hmm. a willingness to be in your body a willingness Mm -hmm. to be present in the face of so many terrible things and like power structures and like relationships that could harm you yeah and a willingness to be there and a willingness to to make it home yeah a willingness to to discover to allow it to be home to make it a home yeah your body yes but i didn't go down that route yeah (laughs) i went into luxuriating and enjoying other people's sense of Mm -hmm. disgust at me. (laughs) I know that disgust doesn't exist. So I know that they are playing with an illusion that they think is real. Yeah. So I 
invite them to go as deeply as they can into disgust. Muster as much disgust for me as you can, because it is only affecting your state of being, not mine. Mm. And if you go deep enough in that rabbit hole, you will find that it is an illusion and it does not exist. And there is only beauty there that I'm actually only beautiful, not because I adhere to some like Western European beauty standard, but because the only things that this natural world has created is beautiful. So I like, I like your route of like, I'm going to enjoy my life, but like, no, I enjoy your state of discomfort and perplexity and judgment. And I enjoy in this moment, I might outgrow this, but like I enjoy, I'm going to enjoy for a moment this crazy dance that you're doing with something that doesn't even truly exist. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Are you a witness to madness? I mean, in a sense, but then it's like, you can just drop the rope and you're no longer in the tug of war. Like you could just understand that like, there is actually nothing disgusting about Mm -hmm. another human being. Right. And there's, And you can try to rationalize what I just said with like, yeah, but someone who's let themselves go or someone who's sick or, you know, it's disgusting, this and that. But like, fine, you may be disgusted with the material body, Uh but what I'm talking about is the judgment that you have ascribed to me that you find disgusting attached to, like that I'm worthless, that I'm... She's just fucking reveling in disgust. Yes. So like my tip (laughs) is if you're dealing with your own fear that you're unloved because you might be fat or people might think that you're fat, lean all the way into that. Yeah. Because when you shine the light on the things that other people are trying to shame you for, nothing can be in the shadows. Like nothing can hurt you if you shine the light yourself Mm -hmm. so lean all the way in that's not really a metaphysical tip but i think that's the place of liberation that's like that's what makes you a power crystal tabby you're you're outside of the you're now outside of the power structure yes I don't know. Does that make sense? You look confused. I'm not confused. It's just so... That, I, don't, I don't know. It's, I don't have to know where it's like powerful, not powerful. Like, it's like to be here, but like in a charged way. Mm. Like, there's an intention to being present, and there's, there's like, a fuck you somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. There's uh, I hope you vomit, because you're so disgusted. And there's also, like, some compassion uh, for, yeah, like... Yeah, that's what I was going to say. And it's also, like, it's, like, I'm holding this space, and you can come here, too. Yeah. When you're done barfing. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. That's it, just, I don't know, it made me yeah. feel so many things. Yeah. It's really scary to go through the looking glass to accepting something that has shamed you for your entire existence. And it's also embarrassing because you're like, I was shamed by something that's not even real. We're all shamed by stuff that isn't real. Yeah. Race is not real. Racism is real, but like race itself is not real. Right. Gender is not real. Gender is not, we know gender is not real. But it's like when you. It's just like even like, is desire even real? Like how much of what you desire is because you're in relationship to the constructs. Yeah. Like, how do we know we like the clothes we're wearing or yeah. the car we drive? Or how like, do we even know do we I really like want that? this shade of eyeshadow? How do we know we like something that we're only choosing from a selection of things that was pre-made for us? Yes. Yeah. I, I feel like, I'm not, like the thing that I'm trying to say is that like we lean into this so hard so that we can't be shamed by others. And then we can start the path of like, eradicating our own shame for ourselves yes but you do have to go through the looking glass you have to go into that other quantum reality where you're you but you're in a different dimension where these things have no power over you Mm -hmm. and now gravity doesn't work and things are floating around and like how do you know that this is even reality and so in a sense and um i i kind of i like i kind of wrote about this there's um this transformation, so I'm like, I read this article, Rojas Durazo wrote, transformation involves risking death as a part of the self slash selves that are no longer necessary. Okay, yeah, that takes me to like, why, like why the metaphysical stuff at the end of the episodes? Yeah. Because you need a way to care for yourself that's like, uh, to care for yourself through those deaths over yeah. and over. Yeah. I feel like we're constantly dying. We are constantly dying. I think we're like constantly shifting realities and that's yes. what feels like death. Yeah. And it feels like yeah. always a sense of like, I feel it right now. Like I don't even know who I am right now. Yeah. And I don't know. Like the world feels so dangerous cause it's so unsolid. It's volatile. Yeah. It's like living in a world of jello. Like, exactly. Yeah. I'm like pretending this is real. Yeah. It's not. Yeah. So then it's terrifying. Sometimes. Well, that, but then there's like things that we can cling to that mm-hmm. are, that are not volatile. So like one of the things that I came to was like, I'm not a fat person. Mm-hmm. I'm just a person. Yes. I'm still, I'm even more a person than I was before when I thought I was a fat person. Yeah. I'm so fat now that I identify as thin. (laughs) I'm such a person now that I I only want you to know that I never thought of you as fat. (laughs) But I mean like that, that idea that like seeing through the construct allows me to see myself even more. It's it's different than like color blindness though. For sure. Because it's like you're actually acknowledging that. Color blindness is bypassing. There you go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm not bypassing fatness. I'm just saying that, like, yeah, absolutely. I'm not bypassing it. But it's like, you, I can, I, I can now ground myself in myself even more strongly than I could before. Mm-hmm. I become an even less volatile reality. Yes. 
because I'm not being a party to that construct that tried to disempower like the core of my being. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know how to turn that into a simple trick. <laughs> what crystals for <laughs> yeah, exactly. discussed? Um, I don't know, but I would say rose quartz. <laughs> it doesn't care. <laughs> it loves you no matter what. But I, Aww. oh, you know what? Dogs. Dogs. I think about dogs all the time, especially since it's been a year since Lenny died, which by the way, it was like a year ago when I talked on the podcast about when we, we had to put Lenny to sleep. Publish that? Yeah. Oh, wow. I forget which one it was, but yeah. Wow. It's been a year of power crystals. It was March 1st. Oh. And I think it was the week after. Two years since my dad died. March 2nd. Always going through deaths. Yeah. We are. But dogs are beacons of unconditional love. Yeah. Yeah. They don't care at all. They're models of it. Totally. Models of unconditional love. And you see dogs that have experienced the worst trauma bounce back dogs that don't care if you have the most quote disgusting body dogs are interesting because they they don't shape their identities by their traumas no no they don't like there's no way to make a dog identify with yeah it's It's almost like it's programming is to just move on wow and go back to being loving and playful and i'm not saying that that's true for all dogs some dogs have you know, are difficult dogs to be, you know, like they have difficult or challenging behaviors because of the trauma. But I'm saying like, I never have felt fat shamed by a dog. Yeah. Ever. Mm. Ever. That's really sweet. I know. We need another dog in our lives. I have lived with two dogs now. I need to come visit. I should. This is really amazing. Yeah. Thank you so much for letting me talk about this. <laughs> letting you? Well, this well, wasn't an interview. <laughs> it wasn't, but I feel like I talked a lot. As I Well, you've to. done academic research in this area and have done the interpersonal work. And I feel so humbled to have this conversation. And, like, I'll be so real. Like, I was like, I didn't do my homework on this topic. And it's like, uncomfortable to talk about yeah it is uncomfortable and not something that is this is not you know like other topics like everyone has a script that they stick to and they talk about race or yeah. queerness yeah and well we know like, that conversation yeah, so well and this is unscripted and yeah i'm like oh man i'm about to get canceled for being fatphobic but that's the whole thing <laughs> is that we're all fat phobic. Yeah. We must not cancel each other. We must, if we, as James Baldwin said, if we love mm. each other, we must make each other aware of the things they cannot see. Mm-hmm. Like we, we have to hold each other through this process because at the heart of it, we're self-harming. Yeah. You know? Yeah. This has been really amazing. If anyone is out there listening and you have any questions or if you want to get in touch with me, I invite you to, although I want to say that I'm not by any means an expert or have even a very deep knowledge of this stuff, I'm going to definitely put some resources in the show notes 
including some very cool, like fat liberation activists that I like. Um, and then I can also reference some of the papers I, I, um, spoke about the articles I read about. Yeah. Even like resharing your, my body is a spell post. I don't think I ever posted it. Really? Because I was too scared. Um, I'll post it. I'll talk yeah, about my body as a spell. So potent. Yeah. Thank you for listening. <laughs> it was really cool. Yeah. Thanks everybody. Um, again, if you have any questions for us, um, you can email us at wearepowercrystals at gmail.com and you can stay in touch with us through our Instagram, wearepowercrystals. You can find me at Botanics on IG and .com. You can find me at crystals of Altamira on IG and crystals of Altamira.com on the internet. And if you're in LA, you should check out our Instagrams because we both Jason and I have a lot of cool classes and meetups coming up. Yeah. Meetups like, you know, <laughs> we're going to be meditations. Yeah. Uh, and listen to our Spotify playlist. Oh yeah. Where we make playlists based on some of our favorite crystals mm-hmm. and I'm obsessed with them. Yeah. It's so, our gift to you. It's free. Yeah. Leah and I are making them and there's some um, cool potential guests guest contributors, contributors yeah and other power crystals we love yes um so stay in touch with us that way yeah thank All right, you y'all. thank you be well